Well, hello there guys. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you may be in the world. I'm your host, Emily Kate, and actually today is going to be a redo of my second episode. Been having a long, hard think about what I really want to talk to you guys about and how I want to present it. And so I'm excited to be able to get this opportunity to do it again for you guys and hopefully um, have a, an outcome that I'm proud of. Now, you probably hear a lot of background noise. And once again, I am on a walk. It is a bright day, bright but cold, crisp day in London. And I'm walking down a road that's got quite a lot of cars and people. But as I mentioned in my first post, my first podcast, I want to be able to get off my desk and do something that encourages me to get out and why sit at my desk and do a podcast when I need to get some exercise. So let's kill two birds with one stone, be a little bit efficient even though it's incredibly noisy and we'll see what the outcome is when I re-listen to this. But the new structure of my podcast is going to look something a little different. Um, I think I want to spend the first part of the podcast talking you through what I did step by step, experience by experience on how I quit my job and started my business. Literally everything from starting up and forming a company uh, legally to you know putting together a pitch for investors for funding to um, approaching third parties to work with so it's been quite a journey so far but I really want to take you from the start all the way through to the present day and then Ultimately, once we reach the present day in my podcast, then it will be updates on what's going on, keeping you guys literally and actively in the loop with how it is for a day-to-day founder. Then I hope to end each podcast with a little story, much shorter than the stories you'd hear in my first podcast episode. Um but something to do with an experience that maybe built me as a character, as a person, helped me grow in a way, a story to help inspire others or to learn from my mistakes. So without further ado, let's do episode two. Podcast Putting Out Fires by Emily Kate. Gosh, I'm already out of breath walking up this hill. I think I need to do more walks although I played tennis last night so I'm not doing too bad so let's go back to the beginning I realized I came to I realized I came to the end it was coming to the end of my current job at the time as a banker in a large investment bank and I sort of was questioning my next career steps whether I was going to carry on and wait for my next promotion whether I was going to do a sideways step move to another team 
whether I was going to do an equivalent role in another type of fund or bank or smaller private equity house and someone and I can't remember who and I can't remember when but it was it was around this time when I was questioning my next steps someone triggered the concept of my own business and wanting my own business and now if anyone that knows me would know I literally have wanted to start up my own business I think practically from the age of 12 when I realized I wasn't going to be a professional dancer or ballerina I was like I want to be able to work myself I want to experience you know setting up a business running a business it's something I've done so many times in various societies or various other startups or various side jobs or internships. Like, I always took on this entrepreneurial, managerial, operational role in addition to my, whether it was my financial job or whatever, in order to be able to put those skills to practice. And run my own mini business so when you're in investment banking and you're running deals as a junior banker on a deal you practically take the lead and run the whole process from start to finish of course you need those senior vps and associates and directors and partners to be on board to give you that the additional insight the communication with the client the number, the number crunching to get to the outcome that we all want, but at the end of the day, the junior pretty much, you know, takes reign and control of the situation, and I treated it like my mini business. So I loved doing that, and I knew running a business was always something I wanted to do. I'm fortunate that I'm at a point in my life where I don't have too many responsibilities that prevent me from, you know, pursuing this dream. And so I said, that's it, let's do it. This is the chance if I'm ever gonna do it, it's gonna be now. And I'm gonna give it my all like I do for everything I do in life. And I'm going to I'm going to start thinking about my next steps. The second the second I had one foot out the door at the bank, I sort of was emotionally ready to go. When you feel that weight come off your shoulder, you sort of want to throw the rest off and just run a million miles away. And the ending was bittersweet. I'm going to miss and do miss a lot of my colleagues that I used to work with, but I was so ready for the new challenge. And with the new challenge came with a lot of a, a lot of learning, a lot of growing, a lot of researching, a lot of flexibility and multitasking. And now you're going to hear about how I really started up OKEK. So the first thing 
that I really needed to pat down was, or get down pat, sorry, is what do I want to do? What exactly is the area I want to go into? What am I passionate about? Where is there a gap in the market? Where can I see myself excelling? Where can I see myself creating something that others would benefit from? What can I create that's going to be scalable, that's going to not require too much overhead potentially, that is not going to require um, tools or facilities or or, or um, physical places that may be necess- maybe you know outdated or you know is required today, but not necessarily will be desired in five, ten years' time. So what's something that can be flexible in its own self would be desired today and also can, you know, with a few tweaks, still be desired in five, ten years' time? Um, What's something, what's an area that you know is quite an investable industry coming from the investment banking world? Like, I was very used to becoming an expert in random fields. I'd have a deal thrown on my desk and I would have to overnight become an expert in that area in order to know the ins and the outs to the most minuscule of details of numbers in order to be able to work out whether this was a good investment or not. And that's exactly what I did here. So I brainstormed quite a few ideas and I take the brainstorming process very seriously. Ultimately, you know, it will affect which direction I go in. And I sort of went down the route after a while of brainstorming of something to do with a comparison website. Now, my idea and concept obviously has significantly developed since then. But this is how it started. I remember talking with my younger sister about it. I had this other idea and I realized when I looked into it that this Asian company in Asia had done it recently and had just IPO'd for a billion dollars or something like that. So it was like, okay, I'm getting some good ideas, but I need to make sure it's not been done and that it's something that would be desired in the market or there's a gap missing that it could fit in there so I really started by putting together a pitch it was a pitch that was intended in my head for a third-party investor a pitch that when I say pitch I'm talking about you know a PowerPoint presentation a 60 page slide deck that would get turned into a PDF that would get sent out to someone to to encourage and convince them to put money into this business idea. And at the time I was wholeheartedly putting this pitch together with the full intention that it would go to a third party investor. So I went through things like deep and extensive market research. I attended virtually because it was COVID. I attended many, many conference and lectures by some of the biggest names out there and some of the founders or CEOs of the biggest names out there to learn about the market and the industry and gaps missing and where it's going and the direction it's heading. And so I put together extensive market research 
speaking with people throughout the industry and this took a lot of time putting together this pitch deck it was an opportunity for me to put down pen to paper um what i think is missing and how i think i can create a business to fill in those gaps and i started by looking at the fashion market started by looking at the online fashion market e-commerce where has it come from where's it going to how has covid impacted the way that consumers shop these days the way that we have a desire for instantaneous gratification you know amazon one click buy now get it the next day but also there's a lot of fast fashion out there for customer consumer changes and supplier and demand restrictions depending on you know the type of materials or labor force you use and i also put together in this pitch deck information about where i think this business can go and this constantly evolved the more lectures and conferences and people i spoke to the more my idea developed and it was really early on actually into this journey that the concept of sustainability came up and it kept on coming up the more and more i looked into it or went to these events and sustainability has always been something close to my heart i'm someone that does a lot of things for the environment without you know consciously being conscious of it doing things effortlessly effortless effortlessly that's the one and for example like i have a gorgeous wardrobe with clothes but these clothes have been and i've worn them fortunately for 5 10 15 years I'm not someone that likes to throw things out. And I wouldn't say it's an obsessive hoarder culture that or characteristic I have. It's a matter of looking at my clothes, seeing the quality that they are and the way that they suit me or fit me and realizing the potential for putting together so many combinations of outfits that I have an endless amount of options at the end of the day and can go to event after event after event and look and feel good in clothes that you know withstand the test of time. But they withstand the test of time because they're of good quality. And so they they withstand obviously natural wear and tear as much as possible um, and within reason, but they also you know, a classic in nature. And when I say classic in nature, I mean they can be paired with multiple in multiple ways, with multiple uh, other um, outfits. But the color combinations, or the style, or the or the simplicity, is a classic in nature um, design, such that it doesn't really go out of style. In fact, maybe. It's less of a trend one year, but two years later, you know, 
that denim jean with the flare is back in trend again. Oh, and that jean which I had from two, three, four years ago, which fortunately still fits me, I can wear again. And then I've got it, and I didn't throw it away, and I didn't have to spend more money in getting them. And they look just as good as they did three, four years ago when I last put them on. And I'm very fortunate in that sense. Now, don't get me wrong, there's obviously a lot of a lot of that to do with me being able to still wear it and not everyone is the same people grow and change and develop in all different ways and that's absolutely normal whatever you do is normal for you and so I know lots of people that can't do that and so they'll go about other ways of recycling or upcycling or renewing their wardrobe where they'll maybe donate to charity or give back to a fashion house for them to recycle the materials and then maybe they get a credit to be able to spend on their next product. So everyone can do it in their own ways, but this is something that I do. I also, you know, on my day-to-day, hate having like lights left on unnecessarily, always waiting to always like conscious to never waste water brushing teeth, taking quick showers, um, and the list goes on. I've always been conscious of this, whether, you know, I've been vocal about it or not, um, about the way that uh, I live my life. And so when I was looking into the fashion industry and the missing gap of sustainability, the focus on sustainability of materials and the way that the governments want to, you know, improve the policies and and encourage brands to 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 make those alterations to be more sustainable and ethical I sort of felt like I'd hit I'd hit my mark I'd hit my my area that I want to focus on where I combine my love and passion for fashion as well as my um, long-term interest and enthusiasm for sustainable for sustainability in the world and this is where I started you know taking my pitch deck into a different area I would redirect my focus not just onto the fashion industry and where there's a missing mark but also how I can combine the two between sustainable and ethical and keeping this high quality long-term classic fashion for other customers and I would shop around and looked on multiple multiple websites comparing many brands many marketplaces and I found there's a real lack or gap in the market here for um for for shoppers and consumers to be able to easily quickly and efficiently find sustainable and ethical fashion I am definitely an individual who loves to go online shopping especially after COVID and not wanting to you know use changing rooms in the stores in the physical stores or not having you know the time necessarily to go to a shopping mall Um, or not wanting to get stuck in a shopping mall if I have free time I'd rather be outside in the fresh air Um, and so I thought 
when I go shopping, how do I as a consumer, as an, someone who is an active online shopper or browser, let's say, I'm an active online browser, I don't necessarily make the purchase every time, um, but I do like the enjoyment of looking at new products that have come to the market and and different designers that are up and coming how can I enjoy that experience still without having to take the time and the energy to look into exactly what this brand does and how they treat their employees and how they uh, source their materials and how they um how they design their products from start to finish. It's a huge area of research that just as a customer, I do not want to do. Not because I don't care, because I definitely do care. But when it comes down to it and I'm shopping on the site and I'm given a product that looks exactly like the one for me, it's in the right price range, it looks great on the model, it's looking like something I could pair with that is for the purpose or use that I'm intending it for like why should I then have to go do the research into where it's come from how it's sourced who it was made by um how much how many emissions were are going to be um expelled into the air in order for it to get to me um am I supporting a brand that has similar values or the opposite values to myself it's just a total and utter headache and unnecessary and it takes away the enjoyment of making a purchase getting a box through the door and wearing a clothes that the clothes that would look gorgeous to an event or a night out or a dinner or whatever it may be like why should we take away that enjoyment for something that I really care about and I started you know going into uh, doing further market research with consumers there's a whole heap of people out there who are super passionate about this who you know will find that one brand that they trust and then only shop from them because they're not shopping around or they find their values they hone them down but they can't afford those products that they see that match their values. And this just, you know, is a constant cycle of annoyance and frustration for a consumer. And then the consumers start getting louder, the ones that are even more passionate. And they start, you know, going to these big brands and putting pressure on them to make these changes. And then these brands start making these big proposals for these changes. And, you know, putting out these... Um, putting down these catalogues or um, design collections that are, you know, upcycled or recycled materials or, you know, an exclusive sustainability collection. And I'm like, great, but, you know, what, what, what are you really trying to do? Or, you know, they'll plant a tree when you make a purchase. I'm like, but great. Well... Have you actually achieved anything? Well, is this, you know, just a whole facade for getting consumers who care in through your door? But are you actually doing anything? What is the real impact you're making 
and then the term greenwashing comes to mind and for those of you that don't know greenwashing is the concept where brands or marketplaces or um, companies you know put out statements or uh, announcements or do certain tactics and strategies for example planting trees which gives the illusion to consumers that they're doing good they make the consumer feel good for making that purchase that they've associated themselves with a company that's doing good as well but at the end of the day it's just a total play with the consumer's mind and ultimately nothing's changed behind the scenes they're still you may be using unsustainable materials they may be still using child labors to make their products or underpaid wages for their laborers or mistreating them they may still be using materials unsustainably sourced from uh, organic cotton or animals and they may still also be expelling carbon emissions into the environment at the same rate if not more than they were before because of the increased demand by consumers who are getting um, a blindfold put over their eyes and being misled into thinking that this brand you know has turned a new leaf and is making a better making a better impact for the environment for our future for our kids future so I went on a mission after this to really create my business and to at the time find these third-party investors as I was putting the pitch deck together and as I was putting the pitch deck together I needed a name I needed a company I needed to be legitimate I needed to start getting legal advice in order to be able to approach other people and be taken seriously and to be able to start forming what is to become OKEK. So first step was pick a name. What did I want to be called? And I went through so many hundreds of names, looked up whether I should do something literal whether I should do something metaphorical or symbolical or, you know, with a pun or a play on words. And I read an article about how Amazon was going to be called onlinebookstore.com or onlinebooks.com, something like that. And it's a good thing they didn't because they would have restricted themselves to books. And Amazon, as we know, is obviously great for books in the Kindle, but... They do so, so much more now. And I looked into doing something a bit more symbolical. And I just felt like it was restricting me. I didn't know the potential this company was going to become. I didn't know the exact end, end, you know, foundation or the end goal that it was going to take. I was being flexible within within myself and within my idea. So I was really trying to work out what name was going to be best for me to give me the most amount of flexibility now and in the future would be something that could be seen as professional. I realized that 
I wanted a name that originally was going to be quite obvious and so it would require a minimal amount of marketing to get the name to be an established brand. However, every name that I came up with that was quite, you know, logical restricted me into being something I wasn't sure exactly where it was going to go yet. Um, and I remember having a phone call conversation with my mom and my sister and my sister made a joke and said, you should call it OKEK. And she just threw it out there. She was like, come on, you've just got to do it. Choose it, move on. You've spent too long trying to pick a name. And I just laughed. I was like, come on, I can't call it OKEK. It's too, like, it's too silly. Literally has no resemblance to, to what the brand is. There's no, you know, nothing in there about environment, nothing in there about fashion. It's like totally unre- unrelatable. And then I started saying it to myself again and again, okay, EK, okay, EK, okay, EK, okay, EK. And it took me back to how this name came about. And it's a little funny story. So my name is Emily Kate. And... My family and friends sometimes call me, only family, call me as a nickname, E.K., after Emily Kate. So they would say, call my brother, call my sister, call my other brother, but to me, it'd be E.K. And then there was a journey once I was taking with my dad, and he was on a business call, and it was a four-hour drive. And he was on this call for three hours and 59 minutes of that drive. I remember looking out the windows by myself. I wasn't with any other siblings, no one else to talk to. It was abroad. I did not have a phone. It was that those days we didn't have, you know, international data. And I was, you know, just looking out the window, admiring the scenery and enjoying the ride as much as possible by myself for those long four hours as a teenager. And the only thing my dad said to me that whole journey is he stopped between the call or there was a break in the call for 30 seconds or I'm not sure exactly whether, you know, he just went on mute while someone else was talking and he turned his head around. He was sitting in the front, I was sitting in the back. He turned around and for that 30 second gap, he turned around and said, okay, EK? As in asking me, are you okay, Emily Kate? Okay, EK? And I nodded, I said yes, that was it. He turned back, carried on his call for the next few hours until we arrived at our destination. And after that, that story, you know, became a running joke in my family. My dad is a workaholic and an incredibly hard worker. Um, So it was, you know, very much in character of him to to do that to me but you know it became a runny joke okay okay it was a question asking am I okay and yes I was thankfully but that joke then turned into my sister saying I think you should just do it why not it's funny for you um but you know you can just build a brand around it and two seconds later I put it into you know a desired font that I wanted on my design 
uh, on my computer and sent a, took a photo of it from the screen, sent it to my sister and said, like this, question mark? And she replied, yes, exclamation mark, that's the one. And that was it. I was sold, I was going to move on and begin building my OKEK business. You know, sometimes I'm someone to like overthink ideas or to worry about it not being perfect enough. So it was at this point I just made that decision. Yep, we got to do it and move on so my life can continue. And then it came to building a logo. And the logo came to me at night. Often when I go to bed and my mind can clear of thoughts is actually when I'm most creative. When I get to be able to step away from my bright screen, be in a dark room with nothing but my thoughts to myself, I am able to, you know, think super outside the box, come up with really awesome ideas. Is actually how I thought of, you know, changing up this podcast to this new design. And I came up with the concept of keeping it super simple. I wanted to, you know, get it done and locked in after um, a short while. I didn't want to fuss over it anymore because I needed to be able to control my um, ability or desire for perfectionism. So I said, let's do a square with two circles. I was like, super simple. We're talking about basic shapes, square in a circle. So I took a square and two circles and I thought about, you know, incorporating the letters OKUK into it with lines or triangles. Um, And then I thought, okay, let's just do a square with two circles, one on either side. And it would be like a journey, you know, from one circle to another circle, back to that circle. And it then made me think about, you know, the journey that we have as a consumer on OKUK. So you are a single individual and you are able to get two different access to two different brands via one platform. You're able to browse, purchase, check out, receive products from two different packages, two different brands, two different vendors via one single platform, OKEK. And that is how I put the two circles on either corner. I filled one in to be dark and one to be clear in order to be able to differentiate that one is a marketplace, one is a consumer, they do not look the same. And then my final touch was to curve the edges. Um, I know it's very little, but I think as a modern brand in the 21st century, we like things to be smooth, we like things to be rounded, we like things to look quite slick and curved and shiny. And that was it, curve the edges, saved it, done, in the bag. And now I move on to forming my business. And I had to think about tax implications. Did I, did I want to be a limited company? Did I, is it going to be a partnership? Is it going to be um, a, a different type of legal structure? And I spoke with a few people for advice who are in the industry or in the tax industry or legal industry in order to, to be able to best position myself because when investors come, 
you know, if you're a limited company or another type of company, they can get spe special tax treatment if they invest in you. And so it incentivizes them to, to make investments into a business if you do it right. So I learned a lot about the legal and tax side of this before deciding which type of corporation I was going to set up. But once I did, actually, I set up my UK company and it's actually super straightforward. They make it very easy on the website, but funnily enough, I went through all that work to get ready to make the, to, to initiate and, and create the business. And then I realized on one of the forms that they need that they need um, a director. And it was like, okay, well, I have to set up myself as a director. Oh, and I also realized that they needed a company location, you know, a physical address, and that this address would be open to the public at all times, even if you deleted it, it would still be accessible for everyone to see. And so it's highly advised you do not put your personal address down because anyone can get to it forever so it then took me on the journey to finding an office space to be able to associate my business with and be able to claim as my business location and a business address and there's all these companies out there that do these virtual offices and I actually knew it from a few years ago where you can get like a virtual assistant to answer your phone calls and collect your post so this is very similar if not same concept and I had to research into finding the best location. You want to have a good name. You want it to be a reputable street and location. Do you want it to be London? Do you want it to be outside of London? I settled for London, um, a nice address in the heart of London, and was able to purchase my virtual business address, which, funny enough, turns around when you set up through this company, they also... Um, create and do your company formation for you price included or, or a little bit extra or, or something like that and so they were able to handle all of that for me and set up my founding business OKUK Limited with me as the director um, with all my details so even though I you know started the wrong way and I'd started forming the company myself before I realized I need the address um, it actually ended up being okay because they did it for me. But because I'd started it doing, doing it by myself, I knew exactly what they were doing. So I knew, knew the information they were going to need from me and had that all of that ready. And when it came through and the certificates, like I could verify what I was seeing was legitimate because I'd, you know, already done that research. So I knew what I was, was intending to get out of it. And that's how I formed OKEK. It was a really exciting day to get the... Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, just some little kids coming from school and scootering. Uh, apologies about that. It's now after school for young kids in their primary school. And I think that's the reality of doing a podcast whilst walking outside in suburbs of London where there's lots of families um, but at the end of the day you know getting that email through the confirmation that 
my business OK UK Limited had been formed, that I was officially a director of a company that I'd created, is a feeling of excitement I'd never felt before, ever. No matter how many deals I used to close in big banks, private equity, how many times I'd get to travel for different deals, people I'd meet, places I'd go, the feeling of having a name, a business, a company formed by you, with you standing as a director, as the founder, was just so beyond exciting. And I'm so proud that I can say I've done that, whether, you know, it goes anywhere or not. It was definitely the first stepping stone for me, realizing my dreams and being able to have the opportunity to experience that. So tune in to my next episode next week, podcast Putting Out Fires by Emily Kate to learn more about how and I then took the business um, into the public space and started speaking with third parties and becoming, you know, an official name out there in the world. But for now, let's finish with a quick story, a little med- little motivational piece about a time that I had at university, um, uh, which some of you may, re- may or may not relate to for different industries. I was looking to get into banking. Everyone always said, banking, the hours are just horrendous. No one should want to try and get into it it's just so beyond hard unless you've got an excellent work ethic don't just like forget it and I thought well not really sure how much like this is true I don't really know like what you mean by long hours I worked incredibly long hours as a student working for all my exams from the age of 16 all the way through to the final at uni so I was like what's the difference if you get a nice paycheck for it at the end of the day so I applied for spring weeks and internships hundreds made all my applications wrote all the answers took all the tests learned from my mistakes grew as a person you know being able to take rejection through your inbox and seeing this phrase like I regret to inform you I regret to inform you I regret to inform you that due to high demand um, we're unable to offer you a place and due to the competition and the level of quality of the candidates um, you've been unsuccessful in your application at this time so that was you know a recurring feeling and theme of my time during my first and second year and um, it builds you as a character in order to be able to take rejection see the positive side of it um, and to be able to learn and grow and one thing that it made me appreciate even more is on my final application to an Australian bank for a FIG M&A team, Financial Institutions Group M&A team in investment banking. I remember going in for an interview and I was very passionate about working at this type of company for those of you that heard my first podcast I was born in Sydney Australia and I have deep-rooted connection to that country and to the culture and to the lifestyle that that the people have there and hearing that I may get the opportunity to interview and work at an Australian company bank um, where you know 
the there's a lot of Aussies that maybe have emigrated to join the London team or you get the opportunity to emigrate the UK to go join the Sydney team that was you know a really exciting opportunity so I remember having this extra bit of fire in my belly in those interviews because I was able to relate to um I was able to relate to the company on a more personal level than I was able to for applying to many other banks. And even though I still recall my interview vividly, not knowing some of the answers, not being able to answer all of the technical questions, I gave it my all. I stayed positive. I'd learned a thousand and one lessons from every single rejection before that, how to act in an interview, how to approach a situation when you definitely don't know the answer and how to play it off as an opportunity to be keen to learn and grow. And I connected really well with the interviewers. Um, it was a really enjoyable experience at the end of the day in a weird way. And I came away feeling like, you know, I'd done my best, um, but I really, really wanted that opportunity. I remember getting the call through a week later um, and they start off by saying, look, we've reviewed the headcount and we've taken a look at your results of your test and your heart just sinks. You think, OK, they're now explaining to me all the reasons of, and excuses for not excuses, but the rationale and the reasoning for why they can't give you an offer. And then they said, and we're delighted to we'd be delighted to offer you a place on our summer internship program for like 10 12 weeks and I was literally jaw drop gobsmacked a tear started trickling down my eye because it just was this sense of relief like all those hours and hard work that you put into something to get a little bit of recognition back that someone is going to take a chance on you that it's not going to be a catch-22 situation where they say well you don't have that experience so we are not going to take the risk and therefore you can't get the experience in order for someone else to take a risk on you and I just felt like this glimmer of hope that this company had and this team and those interviewers had you know seen something in me and being like we think should be a great fit here I had an incredibly growing experience growing in myself over that summer in summary it was hell and I think I basically like every other intern there you know it's 10 weeks and then you're done so you literally give it your all for 10 weeks because you know you can collapse at the end and I literally did 10 weeks and passed out at the end um, literally blacked out I, there was points of the time that I didn't know whether I was eating breakfast, lunch or dinner, what day of the week and where, like, where, um, whether it was like, you know, inappropriate to be in the office on a Sunday at 10 p.m. because it just, the lines had got so blurred and you were just working such ridiculous hours, giving it your all, like every other intern to be able to outcompete each other to the extent that I went in to get a lunch with some colleagues thinking it was dinner time um, or went to get dinner thinking it was still lunch and I remember friends calling up saying yeah we just left our internships at these other places we've done for the day do you want to meet up and I was like what do you mean done for the day 
The day's only just getting started and I look at my watch and it's like 7pm and really my day was only just getting started with the amount of hours I would have done following that. So with every silvery lining there's always, you know, it's always green on the other side. Um, I don't regret having these opportunities and I definitely would was grateful to do it at that time in my life when I was younger with the energy not that I'm not young now and that not that I don't have energy but to do those experiences from the offset push yourself from the beginning in order to be able to reap rewards later for me to be able to put it on my CV and talk about it in future applications to secure other roles was definitely definitely helpful and so I am grateful for that and for the people I met but that was it. That's all for now. I'm going to be signing off. Emily Kate on Putting Our Fires. Coming to the end of my walk. Thanks for joining me again. And I hope you like the new style of podcast. That I'm going to be putting out for you on a weekly basis. Feel free to reach out to me. DM me on Instagram. Ok.EmilyKate. Um, also on Facebook. Ok.EmilyKate. Honestly, any feedback, any comments. Just to reach out to say hi. If you've experienced something similar or you're excited to, or, to hear or learn about how I originally formed OKEK, like feel free to always drop me a message, comment on a post, and I can't wait to speak with you guys again. Take care, keep on smiling, have a good rest of the week, stay positive, and we'll speak soon. Bye for now.